Hello and welcome to the Football Diary podcast, where myself and Dave are going to unpick a very eventful weekend in the Premier League, eh, Dave? Goals galore this weekend. My team got five, yours got three. How did you find the weekend, Dave? United wins. That's all I asked for in a weekend. That's a great weekend. <laughs> Every other game's nil-nil and United win. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you can actually enjoy yourself for a weekend and not feel miserable. <laughs> That's sometimes the good thing about a late Sunday kickoff, I imagine, as a United fan. Yeah, you've so had, you've there were a weekend by then, haven't you? There's not, there's not much yeah. to the weekend, more of the weekend to ruin. So. <laughs> we'll get to United definitely and I want some time to brag about Villa too but I think the only place to start really is right at the top and the top two now are Liverpool and Arsenal after Arsenal won 3-1 at the Emirates in a really impressive display wasn't it Dave? Oh absolutely I think the game itself uh, it was by Arsenal it seemed like they were on another level to Liverpool throughout the game but in terms of their intensity definitely on, on the ball and without the ball um they were superb. And I think that was quite surprising to some people because I think a lot of people expected and anticipated Liverpool to come into this game with a lot of a lot of confidence. Um, obviously, the, the story of Klopp obviously leaving at the end of the season, there were a lot of players coming out in, into the media and saying, you know, it's it's actually given them more to, to, to play for. They really want to end, end the season on a strong note. So to, I think to see how actually Liverpool approached this game um, and actually played was a bit of a surprise for me. I thought Arsenal played outstanding. I think it's definitely one of their best best games this season and certainly one of, of late since, since they've obviously had a little bit of a, a bad patch. But they look more like the team of, that we've seen, um, obviously, from last year and beginning of this year. So that was great to see. I thought uh, a lot of the players, uh, Martinelli, I thought, was superb. Um, and they really disrupt Liverpool's um, actually in, in terms of when they were in possession of the ball it's not very often you see Liverpool panic so much in, and be so hesitant when in possession of the ball and actually force some errors on their behalf um, we've seen obviously with, with the goals um, but... <laughs> yeah. um, so I think in terms of obviously Liverpool I, I was quite surprised with the starting lineup. I thought I thought Gravenberg was a was a strange one to start. I thought Harvey Elliott would start in that midfield, and I thought that um, Darwin Nunez would be, with a form that he's been in of late. And I know he has those games where you know obviously it hit the bar four times, and probably he needs a little bit of luck here and there. But I think it speaks volumes that he actually looks like their most dangerous player when he's got the ball. On. And I think when he did actually come into the game. He operated in the, in the wrong areas for me. I, I like to see him actually coming in sort of off the left because we know he can cut in on his right foot and actually have shots at goal. But he didn't even have one shot on target and that's so rare for Darwin Nunes. He normally has a few attempts on goal. Um, and Liverpool just they just struggled to kick into gear. And obviously, they were missing a few players in this particular game. But you just expected a little bit more from, from them. But Arsenal just made it look comfortable. They did make it look comfortable, I think, actually. And I will come to some of the frailties of Liverpool, but I think it's worth acknowledging the maturity of this Arsenal performance because tactically, I think they just got it spot on. It seemed like they were far more prepared for the game. And actually, the plan really worked for Arteta. So Jesus being out, you imagine, would have a negative impact on on Arsenal. But actually, it meant that Havertz was deployed as this false nine and was able to drop deeper and make the midfield really tight for space. 
And that really benefited Arsenal because they pressed Liverpool really heavily on the ball, won it back in high areas and turned over possession into really key positions of the pitch. It was really noticeable in that first half in particular how many times they were just pinging balls over the top of Trent's head and watching Martinelli run onto it. And then even at times playing it to Martinelli's feet. And there were a couple of times where he basically walked past Trent. He didn't even put a challenge in. They clearly wanted to exploit that. And the more that Liverpool centre-backs noticed that happening, the more they drifted out of position and opened up space in the middle, which is how we saw Saka's first goal. It was really noticeable that Odegaard, yes, it was an inch-perfect pass, and I, I really do want to give him some credit for that. That was a, able to happen because Liverpool's midfield was lacking that real holding player to control the middle of the park and mark Odegaard. So Van Dijk steps out to try and come to him, and it opens up their entire defence. And I thought that was... That showed a real immaturity from this Liverpool side that we've not seen yet this season. Defensively, they've been excellent this season, Liverpool. They're top of the league for a reason. But Arsenal seemed to be able to exploit everything because they controlled that game. And a big part of their control, Dave, was Jorginho coming back into the side. What did you make of his performance? And is this a sign that actually, when Arsenal are looking for a centre midfield partner for Declan Rice, maybe it's not Thomas Partey. Maybe they've already got it there in Jorginho. I thought it was excellent. I thought in terms of... He goes under the radar a lot, doesn't he, Jorginho? And I think he probably gets a little bit more flat than... And I think it's slightly unfair, to be honest, because I think a lot of people will probably look at him in this game and probably think he's probably it's probably a bit too much for in, ter- in terms of the t- intensity and, and, and the pace of the game, which on another day, it might be slightly true to an extent. But Liverpool just... They were out of sorts in terms of their midfield structure and... Arsenal were just able to control that tempo and the pace of the game. They really kind of forced that tempo. And I thought Jorginho, in, in the way that he he recycled possession, kept hold of the ball at the right times, obviously moving it into the right areas. He's he's a great player to watch on his own. And he's definitely one that just really goes under the radar. And it doesn't get the credit, I think, he probably deserves, especially in the time that he's had it, which obviously you would have seen in a lot of him at Napoli. You like obviously a lot of Serie A and when he moved to Chelsea, um, I don't think he's, he's fully appreciated in the player that he is. No, no. And it's ironic because actually he'd fit really well into Chelsea's system now, wouldn't he, and help bring them a bit of control. But we'll we'll come to them later on. There are players across the pitch, actually, that we could look at for Arsenal. Obviously, Martinelli and Saka, we've talked about how, yes, they're high-performance players, but they haven't put up the same sort of numbers that they did last year. Maybe a bit harsh on Saka, but Martinelli, as you mentioned, was really strong in this game. Saka got his goal as well. But the depth showed as well, because Trossard came off the bench and I thought he was excellent. His goal was fantastic. It was such a good solo effort to pick the ball up from quite deep and beat the defender and then find that space between Alisson's legs. This result, accompanied with this Arsenal team that we currently see, is this enough to make us think that they are still competing for the title, Dave? I think so. I, I mean, all teams are going to have a bad spell, I think, throughout the season. Uh, if Arsenal now have got to look look to obviously take it a game at a time. And obviously, the last few weeks, obviously, they've had a few a, a few tough games, um, which has obviously question made people question them as a side and whether they're actually their credentials as a, as a title contenders, which is which is fair enough. Um, but, you know, look at the likes of Man City. They, they were having struggles, obviously, in previous weeks. In the last couple of weeks, they've, they've come more to to the fore. We know they really kick on the second half of the season. Liverpool, 
there's a real, I think there's a, a big question mark over the, those top three sides, to be honest. And I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any certainty. I don't think there's a, ma- a major favourite. You can, you can talk of Man City, obviously. Obviously, De Bruyne are coming back now. That's a big positive for them. But I think Arsenal um, this season, I, I, I think they can only build from this now. They'll take the momentum from this game, 100%, the confidence. I think from beating Liverpool, because I, the, the, all the talk was Liverpool coming in and, beat, and winning this game. Mm. So, is, is the title race, and potentially you mentioned earlier about Klopp's kind of message that we've had, obviously, was that maybe the defining factor in why these defensive lapses were happening? Because it seemed like it was errors in judgment and concentration from very key players that really cost Liverpool this game. So there were multiple times we saw Trent caught out. Obviously, for Arsenal's second goal, there was a rare mix-up between Van Dijk and Alisson, which really didn't go down well. And then Canate gets himself sent off as well, which, well, just quickly on that one, fair red card to you, Dave? I think it was a red. Yeah, yeah. I think I, uh, for me, it was anyway. Um, yeah, I can't see any massive... I've not seen anyone say it's not or, you know, but pipe up that it is unfair. So. Well, Klopp seemed to suggest at first that he thought that the game had been taken away from Liverpool a bit and there was some unfairness, but he'll always do that. But yeah, going back to that original point, the defensive mix-up then, Dave, Van Dijk, Allison, two absolutely incredible players at Liverpool and two people that have contributed massively to them in that little mix-up. It seemed like both teams were quite nervous and had shaky moments at the back at mm-hmm. times, but Arsenal just controlled theirs better. What was it that you thought got to Van Dijk and Allison in particular? I don't know whether there was some last-minute changes being made. Obviously, we heard about the news about Conor, Conor Bradley. That obviously a really sad news. That it, I think he would have started this game, uh, and Box the sort of manager to. We've seen him throw youngsters in, and obviously he's, he's obviously you know got the confidence of his manager, and he's, he's played really really well since he's come in. I think he's just offers a little bit more balance when he plays at fullback over Trent. And you also lose a lot of what Trent gives you in terms of balancing that midfield. And he actually has a good hand on keeping control of that midfield as well. We've seen over the last few weeks when he has played in that sort of hybrid role. So I don't think that would have helped them at all. Um, to be honest, the there have been moments throughout the season where Van Dijk has has made a couple of mistakes here and there. Um, I just think it was lack of communication between goalkeeper and, and centre back, which is it's actually rare to see that. I think, um, especially with with Allison and, and Van Dijk, you'd expect one of them to take control of the situation. And I think there was there's a lot of talk, wasn't there, about whether he should have headed it obviously straight out whether the goalkeeper should have really taken control of the situation and just literally just hooped it out it was it was an absolute disaster really to be honest ironically I think that's what caused Liverpool's goal as well because Saliba is trying to shield the ball and stop Diaz from getting to it and I can't tell whether he's waiting for Raya to come and collect it or not but there were a million times where I thought Saliba could have just dealt with it and just put his foot through it and got rid of it but he chose not to Keeping control of the ball and actually retaining possession rather than just absolutely it getting it out, of, out of play. It was hard. It was hard. But I think that's where modern football is. And defensively, obviously, we know teams want to use that as a chance to build things up and they don't want to see that kind of long ball football. But you need to know where you meet and drink are. And every now and again, you've just got to get rid of it. Yeah, but it was an interesting game, I think. And I think Arsenal can be really proud of the result and the performance to go alongside. 
and Liverpool will still be happy because they're the team that's sitting on the top of the table. So it's big for them as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the midfield was really weak, I thought, from Liverpool. McAllister, I didn't think look up, looked up to it at all. Raven Birch, as you mentioned, we, we barely saw him get into the game. And that definitely seemed to be where Liverpool lost it for me. I think you're right, Saba's yeah. eye was, was a huge miss for Gakpo, again, was, I just... I don't mind yeah. him, but I just thought it was a strange inclusion, to be honest. Yeah, potentially. I think you like to have Nunes as that chaos factor off the bench and I think that he can really have an impact and I think you were relying on the fact that Jota's form has been so strong and he's always done well against Arsenal so he was going to be, bring the goals but it was it was an interesting lineup, definitely but the game played out exactly how Arsenal would want it and they move up the league. Uh, another team that we'll talk about, Dave, that are moving up the league slowly and have pulled themselves out of the relegation picture is Luton Town. Four all with Newcastle. Now, we talked about there being a lot of goals this weekend and we've talked about some defensive mishaps in the first game. But this one, Dave, was this a case of Luton showing a really strong performance or was it a case of hell for leather, two teams that just didn't know how to defend but really wanted to go forward? Oh, I, I anticipated a high-scoring game, actually. I, I, was, I was speaking to one of my mates and I, I said, because he always says, oh, speaks to me about oh, what do you think they're putting I said I think Luton Newcastle I think that'll be a high scoring draw because at the minute Newcastle are a team that I think they've conceded 16 goals in the last six Premier League games which is you know it's ridiculous for them considering how much you know their their defence was getting praised at the, big, at the beginning of the season how well obviously they did last season um, and Luton are a team that score of, of late have scored a lot of goals um, but again a uh, Oh, I obviously have that little bit of naivety, I think, being new to the league and are vulnerable to, to attacks um, and transitions. So I wasn't surprised by the, the nature of the game. But um, I think from Luton's point of view, I think they'll be over the moon with a point against, against Newcastle. Um, Newcastle, obviously, off the back of the do you know what? I think before the start of the game, obviously you take a point. I think at that point, four four two up, um, there was still a lot, a large portion of the game to play. Um, Newcastle, obviously being at home as well, they they would have had, you know, uh, always got that thirteenth man behind them. Sorry, twelve and thirteenth and fourteenth, and you know the amount of fans they've got in that stadium. <laughs> but I just think that the. The nature that they've, they've got to their game and what they're showing in this league, they're not phased by any encounter in this league so far. And that speaks volumes. I think particularly you speak about the, the, the lack of experience they've got in this in this squad. Um, it's crazy, really, because there's so many, there's so many players um, in that team and squad that haven't even got any Premier League experience. When you look at Ogbené, who you know was playing for Cork City at the beginning of his career, and obviously he's played at Brentford six games. After that, um, it's, you know, and the, you look at the, the 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 kind of performance he's he's been putting in the season. It's out of this world. He he, he looks like a be, and I, I don't want to obviously upset any Luton fans, but I, th- I think he'd be a good signing for 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 a top six team. I think he could be a good squad player. I think he's. Terrifying. I can imagine it'd be terrifying to defend against because his his pace is unreal and he puts a real shift in. No, he, he puts a, a real shift in on that on that uh, flank. And it's just so easy on the art to watch as a, as a, 
And I think that that kind of attitude and the endeavour that's it's it's definitely reflected throughout the whole team. You look how they play as a unit. We've spoken about Ross Barkley and his, you know, his reading. Um, I think he's a, I think he's one of the surprises of the season, Ross Barkley, for me. I don't think anyone would have seen him. You know, that I think as as a team, absolutely superb. And if they could stay up, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, what? Who are you going? We did mention we did speak about it before this. What do you think? Do you think Everton or Luton, if you had to pick one, stay up? I said at the start of the season, I thought Luton would stay up. I thought they'd have enough because they've got an excellent coach and they've got a great fan base. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do it. And their performances lately have made me think that there is enough for them to, to stay in the Premier League. There are players playing out of their skin and I hope that they can keep that consistency across the whole season. But look at the other teams down there and look how much Sheffield United are struggling to get a run of results together. Look at how much Burnley have been indifferent at times, although they got a point this weekend, obviously. Luton have started to find their feet now and, and are getting runs of results together. And that's the sort of thing that carries you away from relegation. And we still don't know what the results of this further investigation into Forest and Everton could be. I wouldn't be surprised to see Forest be the one that, that dropped into it, unfortunately, because they're a team that I think we've got a lot of time for and we've seen grow massively. But right now, you think Luton look a far more favourable side to stay up than, than either Everton or Forest. It's it's an odd situation that they find themselves in. I think the encouraging thing for me, especially with Luton, is actually the consistency they're showing. It's not... Do you know what I mean? They're, they're not um, losing... You know, going on a run of games without picking points up, they're actually fairly consistent in the results that they're churning out, and that must be. I mean, I'm gossiped to be honest by how well they've actually done this season. I know you say that you thought they they have enough to stay up, but you had to look at that squad at the start of the season. We've all done it. We've we've obviously spoken of the likes of you know Sheffield United, um, obviously Burnley as well. There's a lot of unknown. You know, unknown quantities in there where you think actually they're going to have enough. Newcastle, on the other hand, though, Dave, what is their season? Like, they just beaten Villa at Villa Park, which I'll have to mention briefly. And then they draw this game for all. Obviously, injuries we know have decimated their squad, but what? I don't know what to make of Newcastle this year. Are they good still or not? Ever since they exited Europe, they've been on a downward spiral, haven't they? And I don't really know if there's something more kind of going on behind the scenes. Um, there's obviously been a big talk of FFP. Obviously, we weren't able to do any business, obviously, in in January. There was a lot of talk of Almiron leaving, wasn't there, going to Sam? Which obviously didn't happen. Yeah, I don't know if there's a bit of a distraction in that dressing room. I think it'd be a real shame, really, to let their season kind of continue on this downward spiral. Obviously, last week's result was, was a very timely one. That this That's their first... And I was actually surprised to see it myself. I said to you, that was their first win in six Premier League games, which sounds ridiculous. They've not won a game in the league before since before Christmas. Um, I think they'd only won twice away or something ridiculous. And Villa obviously had won it, had been unbeaten at home, so it was typical that they came and beat us. Harvey Barnes is a massive plus for them coming back. I think him coming back and him scoring that goal this weekend um, would have been massive for him and his confidence because he he actually was on quite a good run before he went and got injured. 
Um, so him will add, he will definitely add something back to the, to the squad and give them a little bit of chance to rotate. I think um, it's difficult, isn't it, to see if they're going to be able to turn it around because this is another setback really for them. Mm. Right, come on then, ask me away. Let me talk to you about my favourite game of the weekend, mate. What do you think? Well, obviously, after a difficult and disappointing result last week, he, uh, Villa turned it around. Had a little many men up there. Would you say? Would you say last week's result created some doubts in your mind about them in contention with the top four? Ooh, um, I don't know if it created doubt in my mind. I don't think I'd go as far as to say doubt. I was disappointed. I definitely was. I'm not going to hide that because we've just talked about Newcastle not being in the best form. And I really thought that that home game was a good opportunity for us to kind of get one back on them after the start of the season. But uh, no, I don't think I doubted it. It was a shame to see Spurs go above us even momentarily. But if you ever want to kick back into gear... Sheffield United might be the team to play. The frustrating thing for me was I went to the last Villa-Sheffield United game at Villa Park and we could have gone top that evening if we'd won and we ended up equalising in the last minute, just to average a point. And then you saw what we were capable of in this game instead. They were fantastic, Nate, weren't they? They just they just controlled the first 30 minutes so well that the game was done and Sheffield United just looked lost. And I think we saw the real lack of defensive quality that Sheffield United have got. Obviously, they brought in Mason Holgate and he he had a torrid start to things because Watkins just destroyed him. And I, I have to say it, Dave, right now, how many better attackers are there in Europe than Ollie Watkins? He gets so much doubt still from Premier League fans, even Villa fans. But we're now talking about the only player in Europe's top five leagues who's managed double figures for goals and assists in the league this season. He's, he's ridiculous, isn't it? Superb, and I think considering when he almost went through a, a mini dry spell, unfortunately, although I think any striker, any striker would take that considering the, the numbers that he's on this season. Mm. Um, he's been brilliant, and I think to actually see him to be able to consistently do that throughout the season, I can just hope he can have a, a strong second half of the season now because how he's performed to this point has been superb and, and the way that he played against game but those two runs that he made obviously was a little bit unfortunate the first goal so John McGinn sort of got in there and finished the move. <laughs> yeah he's got everything in his game right now and I think he's, he's yeah. right in the, in the peak of his career it's just going to be interesting whether he can actually take it a level at that next level up if there, if there is another level it's actually quite scary to think really well, if you're interested to hear about that, Dave, you can look to our YouTube channel where there'll be an in-depth look at Ollie Watkins and where he stands in Villa's current squad with his performance. There are a lot of players, though, Dave, that honestly, at the moment, I just love watching and none more so than a player we've talked about a lot in Douglas Louise. His creativity, his passing range, it was unbelievable in this game. His assist for Watkins' goal, is that the, the best assist of the season already? Because I've not seen a better pass than that. It's a great pass, and there were a couple of examples of really good uh, passes actually in the, in this game. He really exposed, I think, Sheffield United's uh, defensive vulnerabilities, and they actually really struggled to to fill those sort of channels that you love you love that uh, your attackers to to find those pockets and make those runs into, and they really struggled with that. And particularly, you could see that in the first three goals, and 
you'd have thought after the first one they would have learned from the mistakes, but <laughs> you just cut through them. It was it was and absolutely ruthless in the finishing. I think the only probably slightly disappointing thing I think for the other fans that I've been four 0 up at half time, you thought how many can we get now? But I think you've also got to probably think about you know conserving energy levels, obviously the amount of energy that's gone in over the Christmas period. You don't want to get any injuries by overexerting yourself as well. Is another thing. I think Leon Bailey getting a, a back on the score sheet was super as well. That's trademark Leon Bailey. It's great. It's great. And players players got rests as well. Like Louise came off at half time. That they managed to rotate the squad a little bit. We've obviously got an FA Cup replay in midweek, so that would be huge. But it's impressive, Dave, because you are right. January was quite a difficult month for Villa. They didn't do as much in the market as we might have thought they were going to do, and the results did drop slightly. But then they won at the weekend and found themselves back in the top four. They were level on points with Arsenal and City before their games again. So it's not a bad thing at all. I don't think you can see that blip as, as too dire for their season. Uh, also, we finally got a Yuri Tielemans banger because I've been waiting for one of them. I've been absolutely waiting for one. That's all he does, score goals like that. So it's nice to finally see one. There's no better finishes then. Oh, yeah. And he could, he could have scored like moments before from the corner before that because they played that fantastically as well. So it was good that he still had the moment because I think he needed that a little bit. But no, it was a great performance. I'm really, I'm really happy with it. The midfield was just excellent again. They controlled the game so comfortably. And then I like that even though the game was dead and buried at half-time, first two minutes of the second half, yep, go get another goal. And then they just sat off. It's, some people will be disappointed by. I think it's clever. Dave, we spoke about Luton kind of defying our expectations and potentially even staying up. At the start of the season, all three of us talked about how Wolves making that change and getting rid of Lopetegui and bringing in O'Neill meant we thought they might maybe suffer the drop as well. And then they've just gone and beaten Chelsea 4-2 at the weekend to go above them in the league in a really convincing win. So Wolves are actually quite good, aren't they, Dave? I suppose that's the only question I've got. Definitely. And I mean, you look at the way they performed you know, consistently this season. I think what's been actually really easy on the R, especially for their fans, is how their attacking game has actually grown in stature. Um, what would have been mm. a worry, for, I think, for the fans particularly, obviously, these last couple of weeks is... Losing Huang, who's been such a talisman, the man yeah. goals that he's scored, um, but they've, mm. they've just carried on from where they left off on his absence for his absence. Mm. And well, who saw a Cunha hat trick come in? Absolutely superb. He's had fifteen goals and yeah. assists this season in the league. Nice. Considering, I think he had a little bit of a difficult start to his career at Wolves. Then he last, obviously, when he came in mm. at first, um, but the the return of Neto again. Who's been perfect? Mm. He's, he's had ten goals and assists as well. Sarabia has also had that, that those contributions as well. Mm. They all of a sudden look like mm. a really potent attacking threat, um, and I think you've got to give obviously Gary and a lot of a lot of uh, praise. But I think I've got I've got you, mm. a man. You mentioned Lopetegui. I think you've got to give him a praise because I think he was the man who actually put to, yeah. to sign Cunha. Um, but he definitely showed, obviously, um, Wolves are, are almost, all of a sudden becoming a real, real force. And they're picking mm. results and putting performances, performances in, against you know the big boys in the league. Obviously, really unfortunate not to get something mm. against United. 
the mm. other night. And in this game, when you know they were they were so efficient in terms of how they took the holes. Yeah, they were. Um, I thought Cunha, you know, especially second goal, really good finish. Um, mm. But I think Neto is actually giving them that little bit of creative spark. I think since he's coming back, they quality, just look more productive. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. He's a player I've always liked, and I think when he did pick up that injury, obviously, and was out for so long, it was actually quite worrying because the companies don't yeah. always come back the same, the same player, do they, when you have mm. an injury like that? Yeah, and it's funny because as bad as Chelsea were in this game, and I will mention that briefly, this doesn't seem like an anomaly. We didn't really look at this game and think it was a foregone conclusion that Wolves would lose this. and Instead, actually... Maybe we did anticipate they'd be able to go and get three points because that attacking force, we are mildly surprised at their performances. But I think they spent, what was it, 40 million on Cunha? Like they put a, a good amount of money down on him. They clearly backed him and wanted him to succeed. And yeah, it was a Lopetegui signing. So the fact that Gary O'Neill has been able to go in there and get a tune out of some of these players that maybe we didn't expect him to or give him enough credit for, it's fantastic. It's, it's really nice to see a young British coach like that really kicking on at that level, particularly when he got such a hard time of it towards the back end of last season. So yeah, it's, it's impressive for Wolves. Mentioned briefly, Dave, this Chelsea squad that just still isn't clicking. That was the difference, wasn't it, really? Wolves had a game plan. They looked like a cohesive team. They looked like a team that were ready to pull apart their opposition, whereas Chelsea just looked still like a bunch of players on the pitch that don't know how to link together. And I wonder whether Pochettino is under a bit more pressure than we're realising now. I mean, you'd be surprised if he wasn't, wouldn't you? I, th- I think the real eye-opener for me is how many players in this in this Chelsea team are actually having a good season. Can you name more than one? Or two? Probably two, isn't it? It's probably Gallagher and Palmer. That's probably it. Yeah. I think, uh, and considering obviously they're probably missing their two best players, obviously I think in Chilwell and, and obviously Reese James has had a, a real torrid time with injuries and obviously his, his absence has definitely made a huge difference to them um, as a team. Yeah. I, I just think there's a real lack of stability in that, in that side. Even look at Carcedo, who came in as you know as a massive, known as a massive talent at Brighton, you know real star quality about him. He's real, he really struggled in this game again. The, for the first goal, he lost the ball in the midfield really sloppily. Um, yeah. It was actually yeah. a bit of a comedy of a goal, to be honest. It was then Disarcy, mm. which for some reason showed Cunha on to his <laughs> to his right foot. <laughs> Bizarre. He got obviously got a little bit of luck with the with the uh, deflection, and obviously then the own goal yeah. to his name as well. It was it was, mm. a, it was not a good day for Chelsea. No, but it doesn't feel like many are. Like you say that they're lacking stability. So really, if that's the case, then the last thing they should be doing is changing the manager. But it also feels like that's right around the corner now because so they play Villa in midweek in the FA Cup replay. If they go out of that. The league, I don't know what they can expect from the end of this league campaign now. Obviously, they're in the, the cup final for the League Cup, so maybe that's one thing to hold on to. But it's they just look like a poor team, Dave, and one without a plan. And I don't know how you improve that. Because you're right, I would like to see some consistency in this team. They brought so young that really you're trying to build something long-term. So you have to give it time. But can Chelsea afford to give it this much time? Because... I can't see any positives from this. You're right. Cole Palmer being the exception. Outside of him, 
what's the point in being a Chelsea fan right now? Like, what are you cheering for right now? Just hoping that the future gets better when you've got a 40-year-old Thiago Silva playing at the back still as well that doesn't seem to be up to it this season. And like you talked about Zassi, he's not, He's not top four standard, is he, if that's what Chelsea are trying to push for. So they've done all this business, still feel like they're a million miles off the, the level of business they need, but you don't want them to do any more. It's a weird balance, isn't it? Definitely. And that's the thing you mentioned about patience and whether they can give time. I think they have to. I mean, what what mm. else do they do now? If they get rid of you know Pochettino, what, what's their options? Because mm. any experienced top coach or managers are going to look at that squad and think, you know, <laughs> just they're going to be expected to work miracles with that side. And it, yeah. for me, it's 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 not going to happen. I think you just have to give him, give him time. Mm. That's all you can do. Mm. Well, very quickly, Dave, we're talking about teams trying to build for the future with young players. Garnacho, Hoyland, Maynard. That's a that's a, a positive future for Man United, maybe. It's been a while since we've said that. I just want to give you at least a minute to say United got a good win at the weekend, right? Because of those three excellent youngsters. Definitely more encouraging last you know last couple of games. I think the big difference is I don't think we were particularly great in this game against West Ham. I thought there were more positive moments in the mm. second half. Um, but the difference is that the the attacking players. Are actually making a difference, whereas they, they were they were they were just struggling to to create, struggling to create opportunities, and really we were lacking those moments of mag- magic which we saw from Hoyland. His you know, and his goal was absolutely outstanding. Now he took it and created it for himself. Um, that's just what we've lacked, to be honest. And there's definitely been more s- stability in the side since, obviously. Um, the the reintroduction of obviously Casemiro and Martinez, who's now yeah. got injured again, which is obviously absolutely. Yeah, that was a worry, wasn't but it? I think on the on the the positive side of things, it's just good to to see us actually put a couple of results together and to actually score some goals because we've not we've just struggled to score goals this season. To score obviously seven goals in two games, you can't really argue with that. Um, even in the, even though the manner of the the Wolves game was a little bit <laughs> a little bit on the you know what, really quickly. Really quickly, I have to mention something from the Wolves game that we did get a chance to talk about together, but I hope you know what I'm, I, I'm talking about. When Hoyland scores against Wolves, my favourite thing about that was he started celebrating while he was on the ground still after scoring <laughs> with, I think it was Craig Dawson just lying on top of him, but he's still celebrating underneath him. It's fantastic. I'm really happy to see Hoyland in some form, but... We'll have a chance to talk about Man United again soon, I'm sure, Dave, but probably for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you for listening this week. We really appreciate it. What you don't know is behind the scenes, this week's recording has been a bit of a technical problem and a, a bit of a challenge. So uh, thanks for bearing with us. And Dave, thank you as well for your up with it, mate, because I'm ready to pull whatever hair I've got left out. <laughs> you can head over to our YouTube page, as always, to see short-form content on some key topics. We're changing it up a little bit. We're adding some new content in. We've been doing this for a little while now. We're working out what you guys like, and we really appreciate your support. So if you haven't subscribed already, please do head over and do that. But if you have, then look out for some new content and player profiles, a few things that we're looking forward to as well. So, yeah, it's all happening on our YouTube channel. There are big things coming for the Football Diary podcast, aren't there, Dave? And I'm sure you'll be here with, with me and Mike every week to try and do what we can to share them. But in the meantime, thanks for joining me today, mate. Yeah, I'll see you next time, mate. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some more exciting games to talk about. And Villa still in the top four. Oh!
How can I forget? The next time we talk will be after Aston Villa versus Manchester United. We'll have to work out how we're going to watch that one, mate. <laughs> In the meantime, though, yeah, thank you for joining us. And I'm sure we'll see you next week. See you then.